I'd like to invite your attention once again this morning to the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, specifically verse 18. Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Father, this verse, though short in length, is long in importance. It contains... A truth that we as Christians neglect to our own detriment. Father, I have tried to make clear the past two weeks that this is not something that we can ignore. It's not something that's presented as a take it or leave it. We must take it. We must embrace it. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help us perhaps see the truth of this verse for the first time in a way that we've never seen it before. Father, I'm so fearful that we as Christians, we read this verse and we go on to the next one, and we never give serious contemplation to what it actually says and what it actually means and how important it is to us. Father, I I hope to show this morning that if we simply read this verse or read other parts of the Bible without giving serious thought to them, we're missing the point. Help us this morning. Father, I know, I know that our flesh and our enemy does not want us to hear this message. Quash and quell all distractions this morning. I ask these things in the power of Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning with some words of wisdom from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Commenting on verse 18, he said that this verse is of crucial importance to the Christian life. He went on to say, That verse 18 reminds us of the essential, now mark this, the essential characteristic of the Christian life. Then quoting him, he said, namely, that it is a life of power and of vigor and of joy and happiness. This is a life which can only be lived in and by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it another way. The life that God saved you to live can only be lived as you are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. The life that that God has saved you to live is infinitely better than the life he saved you from. Amen? So then to, to, to ignore what this verse teaches is to do a tremendous disservice to the salvation that God has blessed us with. And as I've repeatedly tried to show us in our study of the book of Ephesians, our salvation is so much more than the forgiveness of our sins. The salvation that your salvation allows you to experience what Paul described early on in the book in chapter 1 is a life in which God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There are those Christians out there who say something lame like this, 
let me back up. Some professing Christians who say something lame like this, well, I've got my fire insurance. In other words, I'll escape hell. That's good enough for me. You are sadly mistaken and missing the boat. And I question your salvation, frankly. As I said in one of my prior messages on this text, that each one of us should examine our lives to see if our lives are truly characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Are we experiencing the life Christ desires for each one of his own? Say, well, what does this life look like? Well, Paul helps us out in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now notice, uh, Alexandra asked me a wonderful question last week, and I made a comment to her. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we will experience all of these characteristics at the same time, perhaps not to the same degree, but they will all be evident in our lives as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you again, I ask you as your pastor, can you say that your life is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? And it's really not a very difficult question to answer. And if you need help answering the question, here's what you need to do. Just ask those who know you the best, and they will provide the answer. So let me begin this morning by reviewing rather quickly what we've learned so far in the first two messages. First thing that we learned is that to be filled with the Spirit is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience, the grammar of the text clearly communicates that God is not simply suggesting an alternate way for you as a Christian to live. God is not providing an option for Christians who are really committed or who are exceptionally devout. No, this, this is not an option that's made available to, to those who want to kick it up a notch spiritually. What we have here is a command for every believer, every believer regardless of their level of spiritual maturity, is commanded to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. You cannot make any progress in spiritual maturity apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can gain knowledge, but knowledge does not equal maturity. I think we got a lot of porker Christians who are stuffed with knowledge but they are not maturing. Why? Because they neglect the filling of the Holy Spirit. Every believer, regardless of how long they have been saved, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are no out clauses, there are no waivers, nor are there any exceptions. If you have been redeemed, then this command is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I like to add this. It is a command for our good, right? God gives us this command for our good. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the command to be filled with the Spirit is given for our good. The command is not given to us as a burden but as a blessing. If we could wrap our minds around that, we'd be pretty far down the road to achieving success here. This is not given to us as a burden, but as a blessing. Additionally, we learned that this is a continuous command, meaning that we are to go on continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The filling of the Holy Spirit is to be the norm for the believer and not the exception. But somewhere along the line, we have, we have reversed that, haven't we? You know, the, the exception seems to be the person that's, whole, that's filled with the Spirit. But that is to be the norm for each and every believer. We also learned that we are responsible to take the necessary actions and to make the necessary effort in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to expand upon that greatly this morning. Let me say this for now. Just as the one who has become drunk with wine is responsible for their drunkenness through the decisions that they have made and through the actions that they have taken, so too is the believer filled, filled with the Holy Spirit through the decisions that they make as well as the actions that they take. We also learned that there are two sure ways of not being filled with the Spirit. Briefly, we are not filled with the Spirit when we do what? When we grieve the Holy Spirit, and we grieve the Holy Spirit through our sin, through our disobedience, through our willful rejection of God's commands. Second, we are not filled with the Holy Spirit when we reach the point where we quench the Holy Spirit. He will no longer fill us. We also learned this last week what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be continually influenced by the personality of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that the totality of our being is influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that our minds, our wills, and our emotions are all influenced and are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for our wants. We no longer live for our desires. To be filled with the Spirit means that the, our lives will be like the Lord Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit reflects the character of Jesus. Husband, do you love your wife? Do you treat your wife the way Jesus would treat her? You will if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't kid yourself. Wives, are you treating your husband the way that Jesus would treat your husband? Same truth applies. If you're not, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say a, a common saying, a common phrase. Please do not laugh at this. And do not applaud it because it's a terrible statement. I've said this before and people kind of laugh and applaud. Don't do that. There's a saying that reflects the attitude of our world. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Can I tell you, there is no more selfish statement and no more ungodly statement than that statement right there. And it reflects a heart that knows nothing of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And some women will say that like it's a badge of courage. It's a badge of shame. And if a man would say something like that, if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, shame on you, pal. Okay. All right. Now we've got that out of the way. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to expand upon our understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm going to quote John MacArthur here just for a second or two. He writes, to be filled with the Spirit involves... Now notice this, there's several things. To be filled with the Spirit involves confession of sin, surrender of, wo of will intellect, body, time, talent, possessions, and desires. 
It requires the death of selfishness and the slaying of self-will. When we die to self, the Lord fills us with his spirit. The principle stated by John the Baptist applies to the spirit as well as to Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, please understand this. We do not sit back and wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit to just happen to us in some mysterious way. We are not to be passive. Let me prove it to you. Who is responsible for the confession of sin? We are, correct? Who's responsible for the surrender of our will, our intellect, our body, our time, our talent, our possessions and desires? We are. We are to take the necessary actions that lead to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. Good intentions are not enough. We can say all day long, Lord, fill me with your spirit. But if we never make the effort to do those things that the Bible clearly outlines as to how we are filled with the spirit, we're just kidding ourselves. We're whistling in the dark. Good intentions are not enough. You know, there are some pastors who get up and say, you know, well, I haven't had much time to prepare this week, but the Holy Spirit will just work through me. Probably not. Probably not. Why? If you couldn't make the public proclamation of God's words a priority, don't expect him to bail you out. It's like sometimes, you know, you'd, in school you'd have to take a test and you haven't really prepared, but you'd pray that God would help you pass the test. <laughs> really? You know. So we are responsible for taking these actions literally on a moment-by-moment basis. And the filling of the Holy Spirit begins when we acknowledge the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that means we must learn to cultivate an ongoing recognition that the Holy Spirit indeed resides within us as believers. Back to MacArthur. He said, to be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as if he were standing next to him and to let his mind dominate our life. Let me pause right here. Let me illustrate this. We seem to have trouble kind of wrapping our minds around this, but just try and picture it this way. We're renovating the building. I know nothing about nothing. So somebody will ask me a question. You know what I'll do? I'll look for somebody who knows something about something. What do I do? I ask them, what do you think? Sounds good to me. That's exactly what we should be doing as Christians, recognizing the fact that the Lord Jesus is always with us, always available to us. And yes, we can go to him and ask for help, for guidance, for strength, for comfort, whatever it is we need. Lord Jesus, what do you think? See, MacArthur goes on to say, it is to fill ourselves with God's word so that his thoughts will be our thoughts, his standards, our standards, his work, our work, and his will, our will. As we yield to the truth of Christ, the Holy Spirit will lead us to say, do, and be what God wants us to say, do, and be. And then he says, Christ consciousness leads to Christ likeness. Okay. Never, ever forget this. There is an inseparable connection 
between being filled with the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God. So what do we have here? You're going to get sick of me saying this today, but I'm doing it for emphasis. I'm reading John Calvin, and in, the, in his sermons he said, uh, I know I'm repeating this, but you need to hear it again. What do we have here? We have another decision that we have to make and another action that we have to take. We must decide that we are going to take the time necessary and make the effort necessary in order to fill ourselves with God's Word. But here's where this gets exciting. If we were to go ahead and read on down through Ephesians chapter 5, particularly verses 19, 20, and 21, we see that Paul describes the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as good students of the Bible, we know that one way to understand a particular passage of Scripture is by comparing it to other passages of Scripture. So, are there any Scriptures that we can compare to Ephesians 5, 18 and following to help give us understanding as to how those results are produced in our lives? And never ask a question without knowing the answer, amen? Yes. There are two in particular we're going to look at this morning. One is Colossians chapter 3, and the other one is in the Gospel of John. So let me begin with Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Now listen for the similarities here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now you can't help but notice how similar this is to what Paul has described in Ephesians chapter 5, singing, giving thanks, submitting to one another, etc. They're, they're found in both passages. So, you're intelligent people, so let's think this through. What conclusion does this lead us to? What is the conclusion that we can draw from this? Well, the conclusion is that being filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in us produces the exact same results, it produces the exact same outcome. To be filled with the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, produces the same result. So let me ask you this. Who is responsible for letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? You are. You are. You make the decision to pick up the Bible and spend time in it. You act. You're yielding your will to His. You're submitting to the leading of the Spirit. You're turning off the TV. You're putting down the phone. You're getting your priorities right. You're making the decision to take the necessary steps to be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin living the life that you were saved to live. You make the decision to be a member of a good gospel-preaching church. You make that decision. Stay home, and you're saying, I don't need that. That's not a part of being filled with the Spirit. I would challenge you on that. 
But let's not kid ourselves. It is precisely at this point that the battle between our fallen flesh and the Holy Spirit begins. Right? The Holy Spirit knows that in order for you to be filled with the Spirit, you must fill yourself with Scripture. But your flesh is doing what at the same time? Trying to convince you that you don't need that. It's waging war against the Spirit. The flesh will try and do anything that it can to distract you. The flesh will try and tell you that you're too tired. You can do that later. The flesh will tell you, oh, you need to study for that exam or you need to start working on that paper that's due soon. The flesh will tell you, go ahead and binge watch Netflix or go ahead and watch a ball game. You can get to this Bible stuff later. Sinclair Ferguson says, Scripture is medicine for sick souls. And the label on the bottle says, take daily, not take when you feel like it. If we take it only when we feel like it, it is likely that we will never feel better. So this is where your discipline must override your flesh. This is where you have to do, as Paul said that he did, need to learn to buffet your body. What's he mean there? Beat it into submission if you have to. Don't let the flesh get the upper hand. If you need to go 10 rounds, go 10 rounds, but smack it down. Don't let the flesh conquer you. You, through the power of the Spirit, you conquer your flesh. You must discipline yourself to do what is best for you spiritually. And you can do this because of who you now are in Christ. Let me refer back to Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul reminds us of this. He said, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming or since that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So what's Paul say? Before you were saved, you were alienated from the life of God. It wasn't even available to you. Paul describes it as your former manner of life. But now you can put on the new self. Spiritually, you have undergone a total makeover. You are a new creation. So let's ask ourselves some questions. How do we learn Christ? How are we taught in Christ? How do we know the truth about Jesus? By letting his word dwell in us richly. I say again, who is responsible for letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly? You are. Now, here's where it gets even more difficult because Paul is describing more than simply reading the Scriptures. Certainly, we must read the Scriptures, but we must do more than read them. Paul says you must let the Word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly. And what a wonderful phrase. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I'll say it again. You make the decision 
to either let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or not. And I know the busyness of life wars against us to try and keep us from letting the word of God dwell in us richly. That's why we have to make the time. We have to make it a priority. By the way, the words let and dwell are the same word in Greek. And the word is a verb. It's a word of action. And guess what? Just like in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit is a command. This is also a command. The believer is commanded to let the word of Christ dwell in them. Say, well, what does the word dwell mean? It's very simple. We all know what it means. You're talking to a neighbor. You're both out walking in the neighborhood, and they say, hey, where do you live? You say, well, I live right over there. You're pointing to a specific place. That's where you what? That's where you dwell. That's where you spend the bulk of your time. That's where you have settled down, as it were. That's the concept here. That's what it means to let Scripture dwell in us. We allow the Scriptures to reside within us through our deliberate action. That's why I encourage you to memorize the Scriptures. Let them dwell in you. It's the same as the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and residing within us. I've said this before. I'm afraid many Christians treat the Scriptures as a, or the Bible as a hotel. We all like to go to a hotel every once in a while, right? We all like to stay in it. But you don't live there, do you? You don't dwell there. It's a nice place to visit, but you don't live there. And I'm afraid that's the way many Christians are. They dip in and out. You know, first year rolls around, they find them a Bible reading plan, and about the time they hit Leviticus, it's all over with. See. So what is the word of Christ? Well, Paul is obviously referring to the Scriptures. He's referring to the Bible. Now, notice this. He's not talking about books about the Bible. He's talking about the Bible. I've started something for myself. You may want to try this. I've got my 30-30 plan. I try and read 30 minutes of Scripture every day as well as either 30 minutes or 30 pages in another book, a good book. But you know what comes first? The 30 minutes in Scripture. And if I don't get my 30 minutes in Scripture in, then I don't want to give 30 minutes to any other book. Amen? Okay? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's that word richly means? Well, we can capture the essence of it with just one word. It's the word wealth. Wealth. And guess what? Unless you win a lottery or you're a tech guru, you don't normally acquire wealth overnight, do you? It can take a lifetime to acquire significant wealth. And that's why I contend that Paul has so much more in mind here than simply reading the Scriptures, than simply reading a few minutes each day, just casually reading the Scriptures. Now, turn to John 15 with me, would you please? Because I want to see what Jesus has to say about this whole deal. John 15, we'll read the first 11 verses together. Familiar passage. You probably already know what it is before you get there. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. By the way, he's not talking about real believers there. He's talking about false professors. That's the ones that gets cut off and burned up. Okay? That's free. That it may bear more fruit. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Now here's, here's where we get serious. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now notice, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my what? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If I'm not mistaken, what is part of the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Joy. Now, without expositing the entire passage, which would take weeks, let me point out one truth that's important for us this morning. To abide in Christ and to let Christ abide in you means to dwell in Christ and to let Christ dwell in you. See that? Same thing that Paul teaches in Colossians 3 is what Jesus is teaching in John 15. I found this from Sinclair Ferguson this week, and you, you may want to write this down. He put these three passages in equation form. Brilliant. So here's his equation. To be filled with the Spirit equals letting the Word of Christ dwell in you equals abiding in Christ. Let me say that again. To be filled with the Spirit equals letting the Word of Christ dwell in you equals abiding in Christ. So I hope you see that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing mystical about it. It's not something beyond your comprehension, nor is it above or out of your capability. Okay. To be filled with the Spirit equals letting the Word of Christ dwell in you equals abiding in Christ. In order to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in order to abide in Christ, you must do more than casually read the Scriptures. Reading the Scriptures is good, and I'm not downplaying it, but it is only a starting point. It's only a starting point. One writer said, we should seek to master the Scriptures as far as we can, meaning according to our ability, and in the process be mastered by them. Now, personally, I believe that what both Paul and Jesus are referring to here is biblical meditation. Biblical meditation. In order to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, we must soak ourselves in it. Think of it this way. Matt is a master smoker. 
master smoker of meats. But he does not just uh, get a, a slab of meat out of the fridge and throw it in the smoker normally. You know what he does? He'll make a marinade. And he'll soak that meat in marinade. Where he's got this thing where he injects the marinade down deep into it. So that that marinade works its way through every fiber of the meat. That's the picture of meditation. Marinating ourselves in the scriptures. Injecting ourselves down deep so that every fiber of our being is being affected by the Word of God. We must give time to pray over the Scriptures and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the wealth that each verse contains. To meditate means to have more than a simple acquaintance with the Scriptures. And I don't know where we've gotten this idea that, well, if I just read uh, four or five minutes a day or read a chapter a day or whatever, that's good enough. It's not. It's not. We all know people who have been faithfully reading the Bible for perhaps uh, 40 years, but they've never grown much. Why is that? Because it takes more than reading to achieve spiritual maturity because spiritual maturity comes about by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit comes about when we let the words of Christ dwell in us richly. See. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says, The new life Christians must put on is one in which the word of Christ dwells richly. Christ's words were recorded by spirit-guided apostles and the words of the Bible God's written word are to dwell in believers. That is, by study, meditation, and application of the word, it becomes a permanent abiding part of one's life. So that leads us to ask this question, what does it mean to meditate on the Scriptures? Well, to meditate is to think personally, practically, seriously, and earnestly on how the truth of God's word should look in our lives or how it's fleshed out in our lives. In other words, how do I live out this truth? Here's a prime example. How am I filled with the Spirit? By letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. See. Now, one passage, I know this is a lot this morning, but one final one, Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, sea of scoff sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, his law, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will what? Perish. Perish. So here in Psalm 1, we have a description of two roads, if you will, or two contrasting lifestyles. So the psalm begins with a very clear and vivid demonstration, description, excuse me, of the life of the godly or the righteous person. So the life of the godly person the life of the righteous person is described by what, now mark this, is described by what they do 
as well as what they don't do. For instance, the righteous person, because he is righteous, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, which means they reject the philosophies and the human, uh, humanistic values of this world. The godly person refuses to live by his own standards. He refuses to live by his own pursuit of pleasure. That's what godly men and women, that's what they refuse to do. They make a conscious decision to make sure that that is not their lifestyle. Indeed, it cannot be their, their, their lifestyle because they are righteous, because they have been redeemed. The flip side is what they do. The righteous person, because they are righteous, they make the conscious decision to live a lifestyle that is contrary to how the unrighteous and the ungodly live. Now, here's the crux of the matter. What is the dominant characteristic what is the dominant trait of the godly man or woman? Or to look at it from another angle, what is it that allows this man or woman to experience the blessings of God to the degree that they become, as David says, a tall, straight tree that's fed by multiple streams that fills up this rich reservoir that will never run dry and leads to a life of great productivity and a life of great spiritual riches? Well, look, it's in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There's no casual acquaintance with the Scriptures here, is there? There's no read my chapter and get on with my day here. There's no one-minute Bible here. No, he meditates on it day and night. It's what he thinks about. It's what he lets his mind dwell on. That's why Scripture memory is so great as an aid for meditation. Listen to Scripture over and over. Read it over and over. Think about it over and over and over again. Now, as your pastor, I'm going to, I'm going to make some statements that I say in love, but I say for your good. If you do not meditate on the Scriptures, then how will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? If not, how will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you abide in Christ, and does Christ abide in you? If not, then how will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you are not Spirit-filled then you, you, you need to own this. You are making the choice to disregard the clear command of God given for your good to be filled with the Spirit. You, in essence, are saying to God, in essence, you're saying to Jesus, I'll settle for second best. You gave me your best. Thank you, but I'll settle for second best. I won't go the extra mile for you. Let me finish where I started three weeks ago. For all the relationships in our lives to be right, you must first have your relationship with the Holy Spirit right. Have you ever met anybody that has trouble with everybody? I read a book by John MacArthur years ago, and the one of the chapter titles was, If Bob's Got a Problem with Everybody, Maybe Bob's the Problem. 
And if you seem to have trouble with everybody, perhaps they're not the trouble. You are. You're not filled with the Spirit. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Choose this day whom you will serve. And I close with this. I say this day, choose what kind of life you want to live. A life led by the Spirit that's characterized by love, joy, and peace. Or a life led by your selfish, self-destructive, fallen flesh. What will you choose? Let's pray. Father, I don't know why this subject has been so neglected in churches. I, I feel sorry for earnest Christians who come to church week after week after week and, and all they hear is how to do this, how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. And inside they're dying and they're crying out saying, I want to do that. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient. But how do I do it? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's what they need to hear. That's what we need to hear. That's what I need to hear. I cannot function without frustration and failure apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, through your Spirit, drive that truth like a stake into our hearts. Smash our arrogance. Smash this notion that we are sufficient in and of ourselves to successfully navigate the waters of this world apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our pride and our arrogance. Lay us low before you, our faces in the dust. Crush us if necessary to show us that we are incapable apart from your Spirit. And Father, for those who are here today and they don't know Christ and they think, I don't need this. This message is not for me. I'm doing just okay apart from Christ. I, this is a bunch of hogwash. I don't need that. Crush them, Father. Lay them low for their good. In your mercy, bring them to Christ. Lord, be merciful to, to us for our neglect of these great truths. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.